Some of us have slashed our expectations about God and about change and about things ever improving in my life. We've given in to the giant. I guess we just have to deal with this. You paint yourself in the corner and out of fear you manage this. Is that how you want to live? How do you deal with the giants in your life? Do you live in fear of them or trust God to help you overcome? In a moment, the story of David and Goliath. Now, this is far more than a child's Bible story. It's a look at an important biblical truth and one that refocuses our expectations and looks to God for strength. Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Loretz. Today we continue in Crawford's new series called The Pursuit of God's Heart, and we're looking at the life of David. Now, David played a big role in the Old Testament. He earned the approval of God, who called David a man after my own heart. But David was far from perfect. In fact, he fell to the depths of sin. Yet God's plan was to run its course, and David was to be instrumental in it. We're looking at six segments of David's life. Now, last week, we observed the first one. David was marked by God to be king. And today, we move to the second segment, found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you're new to us, Crawford has served in Christian ministry for over 50 years. He's authored such books as Leadership as an Identity, Unshaken, and Make It Home Before Dark. He retired from pastoral ministry and now mentors those in Christian leadership through his organization, Beyond Our Generation. Well, today's message is titled, Slaying Your Giants. And again, our text is 1 Samuel chapter 17. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. David was passionate about pursuing God, but also passionate about doing what God wanted to be done in and through his life. And the bottom line of this series, what I like to see God do in all of our hearts, and forgive me for this, but I think we've had too much of a consumerist Christianity. We think that Christianity is all about propping me up and meeting my needs and helping me to have a better life. And we need to flip the script on that. And my, my passion and my desire is that we will be people who get after it in terms of our pursuit of God, to go after him, go after him. Well, in the first message from 1 Samuel chapter 16, talked about how David was selected. I mean, he was, hate to use this pejorative, but he was like the run of the litter. I mean, he wasn't, wasn't even, he was the youngest in the family, wasn't even around, and yet he is chosen. I have to tell you, though, 1 Samuel chapter 17, as you know, arguably is probably the most familiar Bible story in the whole Bible, if not in the Old Testament. Everybody talks about David and Goliath. In fact, until recently, uh, I've been told that uh, sports commentators and this kind of thing would say about a team that was extraordinarily talented and good and this kind of like also ran team. They say this is a real David and Goliath situation. But you know, I heard, I won't tell you which sports network, I heard that they put word out to stop using that because of its biblical analogy. But the truth of the matter is, to this very day, when you get in a situation in which you're overmatched or whatever, they say it's a real David and Goliath situation. Background, I think that there are three reasons why, probably more, but three big reasons why this story is in the Bible. Two of them are, are just, I really believe, are in context. The other one is an application. I think, first of all, I think this story really is an illustration of what God said to Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 17. 
Remember, they, they, uh, uh, verse 7, I'm sorry, uh, when, when he was interviewing uh, David's older brothers and, and the guy, the, the first one looked good, and so Samuel says, yo, dude, we're done here. This is the man, and God said, oh, time, 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 time. I don't see things the way you see them. And I think that's the reason for the story of David and Goliath. I don't see things the way you see them, sorry. I don't have the same criteria that you have, sorry. Man looks on the outward side, the appearance, but I look on the heart. I think the second reason why this story of David and Goliath is in the Bible, 1 Samuel 17 is in the Bible, is because it is to typify, hear me, hear me on this, it is to typify and cast a shadow and be the framing identity for all of David's rule. This is how he was going to lead. I'm going to tip my hand a little bit here. David never stopped being the shepherd king. So in a very real sense, this was to be his identity. This was to be how he would rule the nation of Israel. This would be his passion, what he would do. His his rule would be marked by faith and courage, the throne of David. It's supposed to be led that way. And then I think there's a third reason in an applicational way to give us hope because of the giants that we all face in our lives. This is a rhetorical question because, you know, if you're past three or four years old, you got a giant in your life. What is your giant? What is it that you're faced with? What is it that is big in your life? We, we all have them. We all have them. You just lost your job. Oh, boy. I only got a couple of months money set aside. How am I going to live? Your husband has just done something unbelievably idiotic. What am I going to do? Your child has just had a moral meltdown. That thing, that, that temptation that you thought you had under control all of a sudden has come back with incredible force. You got a giant. And you can fill in the blank. We all have giants. We all have them. And this story, really, this story unfolds how you master these giants. One of the things about preaching or teaching narratives that you got to be careful of is that you can't over-organize a text or else it takes away from the beauty of the story itself. So I want to suggest to you that there is this movement in this story, this movement in this narrative. And I want, to, I, want to, I want to state it applicationally. As you move through this encounter and you move through this story, and I want to warn you of something here because I'm just like you. Sometimes when you, when you read a story that you know the bottom line, you know the answer to, you skip over certain details that are pregnant with implication and you miss out. And so as we walk through this familiar story, uh, I want us to keep in mind that there are some things that may not be, uh, may not square with the way that you first learned this story. And I'll tip my hand. This story is not so much about David being a courageous man killing a giant. It's bigger than that. We'll get to that in a moment. But the story unfolds itself along these three ways, these three, these three areas. In fact, it's sequential here. First, it identifies your giant. 
What's the nature of your giant? Secondly, your hope. Well, you're going to get the strength from the face of your giant. And then thirdly, your victory. Your giant, your hope, your victory. Now, the, the Israelites are fighting their nemesis, the Philistines here, and they constantly battled these guys. And we pick up the story here in verse 4. You know, God, through this narrative, identifies this amazing giant. Listen to what's said about Goliath. Verse 4 says, And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze and on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield bearer went before him. I always thought that that was humorous. If this dude is that big and has all this stuff, why does he need a shield bearer? But shield bearer went before him. You say, well, what is this all about? Well, I think God is painting this picture about how huge this dude was. Let me just sort of translate what is being said here. Uh, You see, your giant, first of all, has a tendency to dwarf your resources. And that's the whole purpose here. God's saying that, look, This dude dwarfs all of the resources of anyone that will come up against him. Goliath was just under 10 feet tall. That's what all this means. In fact, specifically, he was 9 feet 9 inches tall. This is a big dude. His helmet and his armor weighed about 125 pounds. The tip of his spear, not the spear, just the tip alone of his spear weighed 15 pounds. The point of all of this is that when you take a look at what you're faced with, you say, there ain't no way. There's no way. God paints this picture here. And by the way, by the way, my research indicates probably back during this time, the average height of a Jewish man was somewhere around 5'6", 5'7". So you get this amazing contrast here. Here Goliath is right at 10 feet tall, and there's no way. Have you ever looked at what's in front of you and said, there's no way? I mean, this is so big, this is bigger than anything I've ever faced before in my life. I have nothing to compare this with, no way. So the very nature or characteristic of our Giant is that it dwarfs our current resources. Secondly, it threatens to imprison and destroy us. It wasn't just that the dude was big. That would be enough. But listen to what he says here in verses 8 and 9. Verse 8 says, And he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and, and are you not servants of Saul? Come on, man, somebody fight here. That's the import of that. Choose a man of yourselves and let him come down to me. And if he is able to fight with me and kill me, there will be, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Well, there's no way. Your giants shout at you. You can't take me on. I want to get in your head. 
What a mess with how you think. You've never been here before. You don't have what's necessary. Come on, take me on. You know you don't have what's necessary. Well, also, these, these giants, they drain us of courage and faith. Verse 11, sad. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. How many of you know that fear is one of the chief weapons of the devil? Can you imagine? And some of you are right there, right there. You came to church not knowing what's going to happen this week. You came here scared to death. You're a giant. Some of us have just accommodated that reality. Some of us have slashed our, our expectations about God and about change and about things ever improving in my life. We've given in to the giant. He just looms over us. And you say, so I'm only going to be whatever I am. I guess we just have to deal with this. You paint yourself in the corner, and out of fear you manage this. He is so punked you out, it's kind of like the, the, the boy and the bully that takes his lunch money every day at school. He says, oh, it's a reality. I guess, you know, I've been cutting lawns, and I'll just bring an extra, extra couple of bucks every day to give to him. And that's just the way some of us are. We've accommodated that fear. But I want to ask you a question. Is that where you want to live? Is that how you want to live? Is that where we should be? I can't tell you the number of people I run into all the time who are only living life at 70%. Why? Because there's something that they're afraid of that they don't want to face. Giant. That's our giant. But secondly, there's our hope. Our hope. <laughs> you know, I believe this more than any other point in my life. Worse than not having help is to be without hope. You can handle not having help, but you can't make it without not having hope. And where does our hope come from? Where does the hope come from here? Well, I would suggest to you, number one, it comes from a very unlikely source. Look at verses 18, uh, 14 through 18. So David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. Can you believe that? 40 days, morning and night. Found anybody yet? You're not going to find anybody. You dudes are weak. Come on. Bad Saul. You got to have somebody. 40 days and 40 nights. And so verse 17 says, And Jesse said to David, his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of, of this parched grain, and these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp with, uh, to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand, and see if your brothers are well, and bring some token from them. Now you got to understand, here's the point. David was a runner. 
David was young, and I'm going to get specific with this later on, but he was, we know he was under 20 years old, probably much younger than that. He wasn't old enough to be in the military. He wasn't old enough to fight. Yeah, he had been anointed king, but yo, dude, he was a little dude then, so he was still back there finishing off what needed to take place with his dad. And uh, this was not really uncommon because my research indicates that families of the soldiers supplied the rations for their relatives and others in the ranks. So this wasn't an exception what David, uh, Jesse did. This is what families did. There were other families that did the same thing. Go to the front line, bring them some cheese, bring them some bread, bring them some milk, whatever they need. Just, just go do it. So David went back and forth delivering supplies and caring for his Dad's sheep. He wasn't dressed as a soldier. He was just like, see this later. He, he had like his shepherd's staff and his, you know, shepherd's pouch. And he took that blasted little slingshot thing with him all the time. I guess he left the harp at home this time, but, you know, that's what he had. So he wasn't expecting to fight anybody. He wasn't expecting to get into any trouble. He just wanted to see his brothers and deliver the stuff. So he was an unlikely source. Let me just make a slight observation here. Whenever you're intimidated and you're afraid and something is facing you, be careful of taking options off the table and typecasting yourself. Your hope can come from all unlikely sources. (laughs) David didn't expect to fight. His brothers certainly didn't expect him to fight. Nobody expected him to fight. But something happens to David. There's something that takes place that triggers this uncommon courage. And that's what verse 22 through 26 is about. You know, David is delivering this stuff and, you know, he wants to check on his brothers. And verse 22 says, And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. He hadn't seen his brothers in a while. He said, hey, yo, dude, just want to see you, man. Things are going great back home, you know. Yeah, dad's cool. Everything's fine. And just want to check on, make sure you guys are still alive here and what's going on. But verse 23 says, And as he talked with them, behold, the champion... The Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. Forty days, forty nights, you know, morning and evening, same words. And then these four words. And David heard him. Why didn't the others respond the way David is getting ready to respond? Surely... Saul knew about the faithfulness of God in their history. Surely all of these hundreds, yea, thousands of soldiers there around the valley, they knew about God's faithfulness. But it says, and David heard him. I don't want to play with this too much, but sometimes those of us who are closest to the hassles and problems and pressures and have been engulfed and overshadowed by our giants, we lose our perspective Sometimes you gotta, you got to find people who are not a part of your intimidating set of circumstances to speak objective truth to you. 
You got to stand back and hear fresh words and see fresh set of eyes. I mean, I'm playing with this a little bit too much, but there's something about this because this triggers everything. What triggered fear in them triggered courage in David. What, what conjured up intimidation in them and cower in the corner conjured up this righteous indignation and anger in David. Don't give in to your giants. Get mad at them. So David... He's outraged by this. He's outraged. This uncommon courage. Verse 22 through 26, again, you know, just look at that. Verse 24 says, And the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And David of Israel, and the men, and the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and the king will enrich the man who kills him and great riches and, um, with great riches, and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel, this kind of thing. And verse 26, David said to, to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? I don't think David was asking for all of this stuff as we see how this, um, uh, this uh, uh, plays out. But then he says here, notice this line, For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Here's the point. This story is not to be understood as David being a courageous man, and David had more courage than them, and, and David fought, and David is the one that secured the victory. Now, this is not about David and Goliath. This is about God and Goliath. For David puts the issue where it needs to be. It's not about defying the army of Israel. It's about defying the army of the living God. And David knew what this battle was really all about. It is not about me, and really it's not about my brothers, and it's not about this army. This battle is about God. God. Crawford Lorenz here on Living a Legacy. Well, we're laying the foundation to better understand the story of David facing the mighty giant Goliath. And again, as Crawford said, this story is not about the bravery of David. It's about God and his ability to provide for those in whom he has placed a great mission. Are we letting God deal with the giants in our lives? Well, hope you can continue to join us for this important study. We're at the beginning of Crawford's series called The Pursuit of God's Heart, and we're looking at six segments of David's life. The first segment, David was marked by God to be king. And today we're moving into the second, the slaying of giants. If you joined us late in today's broadcast, you can catch it all on our website. Go to livingalegacy.org. Just look for the link, Past Programs. Listen at your convenience, livingalegacy.org. We'd love to hear from you. Email us here at legacy at moody.edu, legacy at moody.edu, or look for the contact link on our website. Becky recently wrote from Norway, Michigan, Dear Crawford, listening again to your oh-so-relevant teaching before church here. God bless you richly. And from Randy in Nebraska, listening to the last part of the His Church series was a real blessing to me. The value of prayers for all believers and those preaching the Word really came through to me. I'm going to be increasing my prayers for Crawford that his messages find fertile ground and great success. Well, thank you so much, Becky and Randy. Now, how about you? Your emails help encourage Crawford in the teaching of God's Word. Again, email us at legacy or look for the contact link on our website. 
Well, next week, part two of the message, Slaying Your Giants. Please join us again right here. For Dr. Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for listening. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.